Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England, Case Profiles Edition. Hello, welcome back to another mini episode. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday of all Sundays, our last case profile of 2023. That's crazy. Can you believe we've been doing this for a year and a half? Case profiles, I mean. That's so wild. We've done a lot, you know, like we've really covered a whole bunch. Absolutely. We're quite honored to be able to tell all these stories. And, you know, I'm glad that we're closing out 2023 with a final case profile. And unfortunately, just like all of our case profiles, I mean, mine is particularly sad. How about yours? Same. Great. So that's how all of our case profiles go. And Katie, if you wouldn't mind, do you want to tell our lovely listeners, as if they haven't heard it enough, what our case profile is about, just in case there's one person who hasn't heard it? Of course. So if you are not familiar with our mini episodes, our case profiles is where we tell you and each other about cases of people of color in New England who just do not get enough coverage, whether it's in the media, through law enforcement. And unfortunately, we found that there seems to be a correlation between the lack of coverage and whether or not the case is solved. A lot of the cases that we talk about are unsolved Mm -hmm. and no one really knows about them. So it's an honor to bring these cases out there, whether it's a couple people listening, whether one person listens, anything makes a difference because anything is better than nothing because these cases are just so underreported and underinvestigated. Absolutely. Very well said. And, you know, we do all kinds of cases just like we do with our normal episodes. We'll do murders, abductions, disappearances, whatever we can talk about that brings light to these stories that just do not get the attention that they deserve. The format of our case profile episodes are a little different than our regular episodes. So I will be telling a story today to Katie and you, our lovely listeners, that she has not heard, that you have not heard. And then Katie will tell me a story and you are lovely listeners that I have not heard. And also, obviously, you have not heard. I don't know what you're going to talk about. You don't know what I'm going to talk about. Our oohs, our ahs, our questions, all genuine. Our normal episodes, we collaborate and tell the story together. This one, we're separate. We're ping-ponging off of each other. In our regular episodes, this one, we're ping, we're pong. Because... You went first last week, Katie, Mm -hmm. and it is an even number. I get to finish the year of 2023 with a bang. That was unfortunately a very bad pun for the story I'm about to tell you. Unintentional, but still works. And per the typical case profile theme, my story is sad. However... There are some answers. Ooh, okay. Which, none of this is good. But we do have some appreciation when there are some answers. Because these people deserve it. Any person who is a victim of crime deserves it. But at least there is some follow through. Totally. With this story. Which is so rare for the cases that we cover on our mini episodes. I would be curious to see if we were to go back and take all of the cases we did and see how many were solved, how many were unsolved. And those being solved, including those who they think they know, like they have a name, but they didn't, like maybe they are out of jail now, or maybe the statute of limitations has expired or whatever. I'd be interested to see how vastly different those numbers are 
being unsolved to solved because I'm sure they're super different. Totally. Today, Katie, I will be telling you and our lovely, lovely listeners the story of the murder of Curtis Ashford Jr. My sources today include four, if you can believe it or not. Wow. I know. I have CBS News Boston, the Suffolk District Attorney, released a um, statement, the Business Kabar, and Live Boston, which included graphic images. So if you do go onto this website, please be warned. There are images, not they're not gory, but they do show EMTs giving this young man emergency attention when wow. he is actively dying. It's very sad. It was roughly 7.25 p.m. on July 27th, 2022, when police got alerted to a report of shots fired in the area of 20 Ellington Street in Dorchester, Massachusetts. I also bet if you guys were to go back and listen to every episode, 96% of my cases start like this. And most of them start in Dorchester, Massachusetts, I feel like. Yeah. It's a very large portion of our stories. Dorchester, uh, Lawrence, that area. It's very unfortunate. Worcester, horrible. The several phone calls reported that between 10 to 12 gunshots were fired. Yeah. And this is July. 7.25 p.m. It's still light out. That's basically broad daylight in yeah. July. The sun will start to set within the next half hour. Yeah. Give or take. But it's still light out. So the fact that it was still light outside and to be so bold and to fire a gun 10 to 12 times, that's pretty malicious. Absolutely. When officers arrived on the scene, they discovered a teenage boy on the road who was clearly injured. He obviously had been shot. That injured teenager was identified as 15-year-old Curtis Ashford Jr. Wow. And so the reason I give this disclaimer about that article and the graphic images is because you can see this 15-year-old boy getting treatment as he's dying on the ground. And it's very upsetting. Emergency responders immediately obviously tended to Curtis, and he had actually been playing basketball at the playground with some friends when the shots were fired. It appeared that Curtis was trying to get away when he was shot. Curtis was treated in the field, and he actually made it alive to Boston Medical Center, but unfortunately, he died of a gunshot wound that same night. Curtis had turned 15 two weeks prior, and he was about to head to high school. Yeah. He was, I saw a very nice picture of him in like, I don't know, holding up a diploma or, like, a certificate of some sort. He was a cutie. Very cute young man. Whole life in front of him. Awful stuff. It's just very sad. And, of course, seeing those pictures of him on the ground is heartbreaking. I look at a lot of gory photos for just, you know, looking into true crime and for these cases and stuff. And I read autopsy reports and whatever. And I'm not really sensitive to that. But seeing this kid get treated on and have... EMTs clearly like doing CPR and packing wounds. It's very troubling. It's heartbreaking. It was announced in the fall of that same year, pretty much like two, three months after Curtis's death, that surveillance footage of the area was found and it had potentially some answers. 
the surveillance video, as well as witness accounts, because Curtis was with friends when he got shot, showed Zontre Mack, 19, and Dominic Gavin, 25, driving onto Ellington Street in Dorchester at about 7.30 p.m., give or take. So roughly around the time the phone call started to come in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 7.25, 7.30. Gavin was driving the car. Next scene in the footage, Zontre Mack gets out of the car. He's dressed in all black. He has a black hood pulled over his face. He goes over to the group of people playing basketball in this small park. They're just playing basketball. Just very casual. Just playing a game of pickup basketball in a park in the summer. So nice. Normal. He proceeds to approach them, and then he fires up to 15 shots at the group. Yep. Upon the shots being fired, everyone starts to scramble and run away. Curtis, who had his bike with him, he first tried to escape on his bike. You know, he's starting to run and he's trying to get his leg over. And then he eventually gives up, drops his bike and starts to try and run. And that is when he was shot. So in these pictures of him getting help, he is laying next to his bike. Luckily, thanks to surveillance footage and the witnesses, a partial plate was made out. That was being driven by Dominic Gavin. And it was later discovered that inside the car, there was a gun. It was wrapped inside a sweatshirt, clearly trying to be hidden. And additionally, there was DNA and also fingerprints found in the car that matched Dominic Gavin, but also Zontre Mack. So he was placed at the car. Gavin and Mack were known to police. Gavin had two juvenile charges and 22 charges since becoming an adult. Wow. Yep. Including being charged with intimidation of a witness and assault with a harmful weapon. Mm Mm-hmm. Mac, who had only recently turned 19 at the time of the murder, had 27, quote, entries on his juvenile record, including assault and battery. Jesus. As of right now, they are both still awaiting trial because this happened in July of 2022. Right. Mm-hmm. I imagine probably COVID had some delay and also these cases sometimes take a while to get to trial. Unfortunately, there's not a lot known about Curtis. I hate, I hate it. I hate it. There never is. He seemed like a sweet kid. What I do know is that in 2008, Curtis's father was stabbed and killed. He had been stabbed in the chest, neck, and abdomen in South Boston after trying to stop a fight where a man was attacking his friend with a knife. Wow. Yeah. Luckily, the three men were arrested less than a year later in connection to his murder, so luckily he got justice. Um, That doesn't take away from the fact that at a young age, I mean, 2022, that was probably when Curtis was a baby. Right. He was 15. Yeah, like literally he was an infant. So he never got to know his dad. And then... 15 years later, he's mercilessly shot. And for no reason, completely unnecessary, he's just shot and killed in a park playing basketball with his buddies. That is fucking ridiculous. He's barely 15. Can't even drive a car. Can't even get his permit. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. So, we're awaiting trial. And hopefully, you know, soon there will be answers for this poor kid and his family who clearly have been hurting for a long time and then now have been hurting even more so in an unimaginable way. 
Right. And for these, I mean, they were kids themselves, the perpetrators. For them to have that much of a criminal record, Mm. put them away. Like, they need to go away for the rest of their lives. They clearly have no good intentions in this world. Clearly all they want to do is run around and commit crimes. Now they've escalated to shooting. I mean, holy shit, they could have killed more than one person if they were just shooting at children playing basketball. Put them away. Like, they need to go. Yeah. I wonder, too, the one, um, the older guy, Gavin, he had, you know, charges with intimidation of a witness. I wonder if one of the people that Curtis was with knew these two men intimately or whatever had some business dealings and crossed him or did something that they didn't like or whatever. And so he was just a fatality as kind of just wrong place, wrong time. Kind of sounds like what that's, that's what happened. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Wow. Very upsetting. Now, please do tell how terrible is yours today? Mine also involves the murder of a young child. Great. I will be telling you, Liz, as well as our lovely listeners about the murder of Zaniah Wright. Okay. My sources today, I have five, actually. Wow. Okay, brag. That's great. That never happens. Never happens. I have information from Carmen Funeral Home, NBC Connecticut, WTNH.com, CT Insider, and CT Post. Great. Zaniah, nicknamed Naya, was born in Hartford, Connecticut on January 4th, 2008. Oh. And moved to Manchester, Connecticut with her family at the age of three. She loved fashion. She actually designed her own costumes for talent and variety shows in school. Oh. She loved the Princess and the Frog. As a kid, she would put on her Princess Tiana costume and just sit there entranced and watch Princess and the Frog. Great movie. She loved art, going on nature walks, and she wanted to become a cheerleader. Oh. At the age of 12, Naya had taught herself how to apply acrylic nails, do nail art, eyelashes, and eyebrows. And during the COVID lockdown, she started making her own body and lip scrubs nice. that she wanted to sell in her own online store. Oh. So she's like a little girl boss. She's, she's so literally cool. girl boss. I she's love that. so cool. The year of her death, she had joined her middle school's track team and she qualified for the state finals. Good for her. Very, just so many talents. Yeah. On June 17th, 2021, now 13-year-old Zaniah was reported missing by her mom at 8.30 p.m. when she never came home. Not like her at all. Yeah. She's also 13. Like, what could a 13-year-old girl possibly be doing past 8.30 p.m. on a school night? No. The next day, police were called to the South Adams Apartments Building on Alcott Street in Manchester, Connecticut. The call came at around 8.30 a.m. and was in regards to a body being found in the basement of the building in a common area. No. It sounds like maybe a laundry room or something. Yeah. The body was soon identified as Zania. No. Her death was almost immediately determined to have been a homicide. Yeah. And her cause of death was ruled as compression of the neck, a.k.a. Uh, strangulation. Yeah. It was not... It was not known how long she had been down there... It's not known how she ended up in the building at all to begin with. Yeah. She didn't live there. She didn't have any family or friends that lived there. It really is very unknown how she ended up in the building, Mm. where she was killed. Was she killed in the building and brought down to the basement? Was she lured down to the basement and killed there? Right. But clearly the way that her body was left, it was pretty obvious that it would have been found sooner rather than later. Right. In a common area. In an apartment building. Right. Mm. 
A massive investigation into Zania's murder began, and after five months, on November 12th, 2021, police arrested a 14-year-old male in relation to her murder. What? 14 years old. Oh, my God. He was charged with felony murder, first-degree strangulation, first-degree sexual assault, and risk of injury to a minor. Wow. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, risk of injury? The risk was met. It risked it all, and it happened. Right. Oh, my God. I think at that point, they were just trying to tack on everything. Because they knew that he was 14 years old, a minor, so yeah. they're probably just tacking on whatever charge they yeah. can to get him the most possible sentence he could. Yeah. After a meeting with both law enforcement and prosecutors, Zania's family was informed that because the perpetrator was just 14 years old, he would not be able to be tried as an adult. And even if he were convicted to begin with, his sentence would be pretty minimal because of his age. Yeah. Which is appalling because regardless of his age, he murdered her. Not only murdered her, he sexually assaulted her. Yeah. And then just discarded her body in a basement. Oh, that's awful. I'm guessing that this boy, and because he is a minor, we don't know his identity, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I understand because he's a minor, but, like, he killed somebody. Yeah. I feel like at least some of your rights should be waived because you murdered a little girl. Right. But we don't know his identity, but I'm willing to bet money that he lived at the apartment building. I bet you he probably did. Zanaya's mom, Anna Boos, said that this was a slap in the face. And stated, quote, it's very disappointing, very hard pill to swallow. He can go on living his life. You know, Zanaya, we can't bring her back. Mm. Connecticut had actually recently changed their laws mm-hmm. right before this murder. Wow. And they made it so that the court automatically has to transfer juvenile matters to the Superior Court adult criminal docket in any case involving a child who is 15 Ugh. years or older. Damn it. And is accused of a serious felony. Because the perpetrator here was 14. Just several months shy of yeah. this, yeah. this did not apply to him. Jesus Christ. Mike Lawler, an attorney and professor at University of New Haven, said that this law changed in 2015, just a handful of years before, yeah. and that before it was changed, the law stated that the court, quote, must transfer any case to the criminal docket if the child is at least 14 years of age. So they upped the age by one year, oh. and if they had kept it, yeah. this little asshole could have been charged as an adult and gotten time that he deserves. Absolutely. Bridgeport-based attorney Ed Gavin said that a large factor that influenced the law change was due to the fact that children are not considered neurologically developed. Which, like, yes, of course. Right. But this one wasn't neurologically developed and still murdered. Exactly. A girl. And I don't know... I don't know, because she's 12 and he's 14. She was clearly in middle school. Mm. He would have been, if not in the eighth grade, maybe if he was, like, held back or something, he could have been in middle school. And it sounds like he also could have been a freshman in high school. Yeah. So I'm really not sure how they knew each other, if they went to school together, maybe... Online. Online. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I wonder if they were friendly or... Maybe a friend's older brother. Right. Wow. Yep. Oh, that's terrible. As far as I can tell, the perpetrator remains at the Hartford Juvenile Detention Facility awaiting sentencing, so please stay tuned for updates. It sounds like we both, you and I, Liz, might have updates on both of these cases, but it's devastating because we both covered little kids, little teeny tiny individuals. They've barely lived their lives. I mean, Zania was 13. Yeah. That's fucking ridiculous. Insane. So tragic. 
And it's interesting that both of ours are solved-ish. Like, we right. know who did it, and yeah. they're awaiting Something. their consequences. Right. Yes. Right. So that is kind of, I mean, it's a shitty way to end our case profiles for the year because we both covered murdered children. Right. But at least their families know who's responsible. Yeah. And that there's a good chance that they're going to receive some kind of justice. Oh, yeah. Even though for Zania, I know the outcome, regardless of what it is, is not going to be what the family's hoping for. Right. But at least, you know, they know who did it and hopefully they just, they get some justice. That that brings some solace too, you know, but nothing will bring them back. Uh, totally. You know? So it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. Oh, how awful. Yeah, guys, even though this is our last case profile of 2023, we always, always, always want to know what you think about these cases that we just covered, and we still want to have your case suggestions sent to us. Please, we're going to pick right back up after the new year. So send them our way. Cases of people of color in New England, please. You can go to our Instagram, truecrimeny. You can send us an email at truecrimeny at gmail.com. Go to our website, truecrimeny.com, and you can use our website you can use our website submission tool to send us some cases and we will happily cover them if we are able. Yeah, that's also a really great way to be anonymous. I mean, of course, leave your name and contact information if you so choose, but we have had people submit cases anonymously, especially if they're close to the person or close to maybe people that were involved. Um, if maybe there were some suspicious circumstances or if you just don't want to leave your name, it's a really good way to be anonymous. Um also, don't be deterred by the fact that cases that you guys might be looking to suggest us probably don't have a whole lot of information. Mm -hmm. You would be pretty surprised at what we can do with just a little bit of information. Mm -hmm. And even if we can't talk about them here on the podcast in mini episode format, mm -hmm. we will still cover them and put them on our Instagram and our website just so that we're not back to square one and that we're still raising awareness in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. And with that, We'll see you in 2024. Bye. Goodbye.